to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. This week, we are on the topic of desire and hope and really just a a general discourse about those topics, right? They're they're very prevalent in our day-to-day lives where we probably have uh, goals or hopes or desires for something in our lives, whether it's more stability, more money, any number of things. What we wanted to talk about today was just really explore those more deeply and ponder the questions of our, is it good to have desires? Is it bad? Should we, ought we resist desires? Are some okay and some aren't? Uh, Are desires a distraction from deeper ways of being? Um, All all sorts of, of angles that we want to approach this from and Again, no, like usual, no real agenda here. <laughs> Just really wanting to uh, explore this from a bunch of different angles. So, and nothing better than a, a fun dialogue to do that. So, yeah. So let's uh, let's start there, Karen. What do you think? What what um, what are some of your initial thoughts when you think of desire, hope, and just some of these questions that we're posing initially? I have a lot to say about this topic, actually. <laughs> Looking back over my own journey from the point where I started deconstructing from the evangelical faith and to where I am now, I feel like it's actually been a journey of letting go of desires and dreams. Because and, and part of what made me think about this actually was our last conversation. You know, you and I kind of have a little bit of a different story with our mystical experiences. You know, your mystical experiences for the most part have been really positive. You know, you had you had that period of time where you felt this just love and joy and for me, my mystical experience was accompanied by a lot of grief. And I feel like in your in in your story, you had a lot of a lot of grief before the mystical experience. And the my mystical experience actually was the catalyst for a lot of grief. Um, mm. And so I was thinking about that after our last podcast and trying to trying to sort through that and kind of understand my own experience better. And I just kept thinking, Gosh, I I've experienced a lot of grief on this side of the deconstruction and all of this, you know, the enlightenment that we were talking about last week. 
has that my enlightenment experience has been accompanied by a lot of grief and not necessarily as much oh I like I look out and I feel a lot of love I mean I've had some of that too but more so it's been grief and when I think about it the grief has all been around letting go of dreams that I had for myself or letting go of of things that I deeply desired you know even something as simple as not liking where we live and having this really deep desire to move and to to be somewhere different and going through a grieving process of letting go of of that i don't know just i kept seeing it pop up and just this pattern of letting go of my dreams and grieving my you know the things that i had hoped for and so i'm i don't know i feel like there's a lot to a lot to go into around this area of desire and hope because for me it's definitely been a huge part of my of of my spiritual development these last couple of years yeah you know what's coming to mind why not start right away with our periodic bible references even though i, I can't say that i've, <laughs> I've cracked open a, a bible in, in ages unless i a verse comes to mind and i want to look at it but you know the, the story about where jesus says that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And it's got all these different understandings, which I think is beautiful. You know, I'm reaching a point where I'm, I'm less trying to figure out the right one and more just, they're all interesting, right? They, yeah. they it's just, it, it's multidimensional stuff. And the, 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 the interpretation that's coming to mind in this context though, is these things that we let go of, could be riches, right? I mean, riches of some degree. We always think of mm -hmm. financial riches, but sometimes there are other like worldly things that we're clinging to that, as Jesus is saying there, prevent us from entering into the kingdom of heaven, which mm -hmm. is kind of, you know, what we talked about last week in a lot of ways, like enlightenment could be considered the same as kingdom of heaven. So yeah, I think that that's an interesting one that to let go of these desires can be such a, a good thing for our spiritual journey. And yet they remain, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, so, so then I think it's, it's almost like, what do we do with it then? Right? Like if, if we're in this place, kind of like you and I are truly where we get it, right. We understand that all this letting go is so formative, but yet what, what, what do we do about the desires that come after we've had those realizations? You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's where I'm most intrigued about this is, you know, the desires of the moment, right? What do we do with those and, um, or not do with them, I guess is another way to think of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, yeah, this is an area, like you said, that I feel like we're both kind of exploring and trying to trying to see how to live it out in a real world, right? I applied for a job this week and we were refinancing my student loans, which is just really depressing. And, um, you know, I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed with our finances. And so my husband and I kind of started talking about maybe me working in different, in different ways. And so I applied for this job. And when I saw and I was thinking about the potential financial gain, that it could bring, 
I was like, oh my gosh, within a couple of months, we could pay off our car loan. We could pay off all of our credit card bills. We could make headway on my student loans. I mean, even just this part-time job could drastically change our lives. And what I realized was that the hope of, of that possibility on one hand, it felt intoxicating. It felt like a drug. And, and the reason I was able to I was able to realize that though, I guess I should kind of like back up for a second, is that over the last year, I feel like 2021, there was a lot of grieving, a lot of letting go of hope of hopes and dreams and you know possibilities. Um, and I had gotten to this place where I had I just felt really empty inside and had this deep peace and this deep contentment of like. I honestly don't want anything. Like I couldn't think of things that I wanted for Christmas. Like I could, you know, like something even that simple. I, and when people would say like, well, what do you want to do? It was really just like, like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really want anything. Like I've, and, and I mean, in some ways that's, that's one of my challenges that I'm working through. But on the other hand, it was just this really like beautiful, peaceful place out of, after, after all of this time and energy that I had spent wanting and desiring and dreaming and striving for different things. I'd come to this place of just stillness. And so it was out of that space that I was coming into this, like looking for a job or applying for jobs. And so whenever I started noticing this hope of what the job could, you know, the, what the money could potentially bring, I actually didn't like the way it made me feel. It did have that like intoxicating sort of effect. I felt my mind going into all of the possibilities and it felt in a weird way, it felt kind of sleazy, which is like a strange way to describe hope, but it felt kind of gross um, in a way. And I really didn't like the way that it made me feel because it was taking away that that stillness and that peace and that contentment that I had, it was really weird because before I used to think of hope as like such a good, beautiful thing. And this was the first time that it made me really feel yucky. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It was, it was weird. What do you think? I'm curious more about that. The yuckiness. <laughs> this is a great, great word. I think everyone can relate. But <laughs> what, what would, what do you think it was that? Because, because something that's coming to mind as we think about it, it's, it's almost impossible to say things are good or bad because mm -hmm. there's so much that can be explored, mm -hmm. um, of different angles of, of virtually anything. And so, something that I'm thinking of, and I actually have a a similar situation that just came up that I'll, I'll touch on in a second. But I am curious because I think when we, when we have these desires come up there, there's something good to be had there, even if it's bad, if that makes sense. By that, I mean, we're, it's almost like a, an ex, a way of doing inner work to better understand what is going on under the surface. So in that spirit um, with you, what would you say is, driving that feeling of yuckiness with um with having that that hope arise 
so I, I love that you, that you bring that up. So this is what I was thinking about. I was thinking about how hope, you know, it's, it's expectation plus like a really deep desire, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a deeply desired sure. expectation or something along those lines. Um, but what I was thinking about is that underneath it, underneath hope, there is almost always, it's hope is like a symbol or a symptom of resistance, that you're resisting what is, that you are resisting the now and like what your actual experience is in the moment. And that it's also a strange symptom or not a symptom. It's like a cover for grief or or even a cover for fear. And that there is something in your life that you are deeply resisting or deeply afraid of happening. And hope is like going to the opposite extreme. Hope is running away from that grief and that fear and clinging to, you know, clinging to the idea of something different being available. And I think that it felt icky to me because I had been in this place of great peace and, and not desiring anything, not wanting anything, but just being in a, in this place of contentment. And then what this, what the hope revealed to me is that there are still areas of my life that I'm in resistance to. And for that reason, I felt, I I had this sense that like hope, if we let it, if we look, if we're willing to look at the things that we're, that we're really deeply hopeful for, then the opposite of whatever that hope would bring us is the thing that we're resisting, you know, like, or that we're, that we're fearful of. So I'm hoping for this, for this particular salary, because it would allow us to get out of our debt. So what I'm resisting is I'm resisting the fact that we are in debt and that I'm afraid that that debt causes me fear and discomfort and sadness because like our, you know, our life, I mean, we're in a lot of ways, we're sort of like uh, limited, you know, by our financial situation. Um, and there's things that we can't do. And like, I, I need to, like, I'm avoiding grieving that. And there still is like a resistance there for me that I'm not fully at peace with where we are financially. And so if I'm willing to go there and actually like enter into that grief and go through that process of learning to accept what this is right now, you know, then I could, I could move through that and come to a different place. But the the hope, the fact that I, the fact that the hope like came up so easily was actually like, oh, that's interesting. It was revealing to me where in my life I'm still resisting. So it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think that hope can, I, I hesitate to say that hope is a bad thing or is a negative thing, right? But I feel like what hope now, like now my perspective is that what hope can really be good for is being a signpost to point you towards the things that you are resisting and need to accept in order to maybe move to like a more 
I don't know, enlightened or like awake space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I am, I'm sensing a lot of frustration in my, in my own like thoughts as we talk about this, <laughs> because it's interesting, right? Like, okay, I, I can sense this like pretty textbook. I don't know if textbook is the right way to say it, but, but somewhat textbook thought pattern based on really the stuff we talked about last week, you know, the, the cookie dough and are we really a person? What is our true yeah. essence? And the thought I'm having is that pure consciousness, which we could make the argument is who we really are. You know, that's the idea that we are kind of gravitating around. Is it absolutely true? We don't know, but it's, you know, the idea that, that we're, we're gravitating around and it's almost, I'm, I'm getting this sense that hope is the kind of the antithesis of being that because mm, yeah. can we be this pure consciousness that is kind of separate, not separate, but that is, um, immutable and doesn't need anything. Can we be that and hope for things? And what's coming to mind is I don't think so, right? I don't think that if if we're in this space of hoping for something, we are, we are the story that we're telling ourselves is that there's lack, right? And pure consciousness, there is no lack. So it's almost like the, the textbook answer is that there is a, like, we should, we should seek to not be in that place of hope, but then the human element comes in and, and like, you know, we want to have an enjoyable life, you know, it's, so it's, it's just really tricky because in your situation, I mean, okay, so you, you want to enjoy life, right? And if, if you're chained down by financial bondage, so to speak, which mm-hmm. a lot of people are, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are in some way, shape or form, it, it restricts in, in, many degrees it restricts the capacity by which we can enjoy yes. a life experience right yeah so that i just I, I yeah so i i started this this line of thinking by saying i just i have this uh palpable sense of of um confusion maybe in my head about like what how, and then how, how do we unwind this ball um and, and somehow reconcile like having hopes for a better life situation while at the same time pursuing that um, gravitational pull of pure consciousness that doesn't need anything and is perfectly Mm -hmm. content. Kind of like what you were saying, I think is you were, you were in this place of peace and I don't want anything probably more aligned with, with your true essence. Mm -hmm. And then this arises. um, And what do you do with it? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you, you know, what you were saying about how, you know, being in financial bondage prevents you from enjoying life. And it's tricky, right? It's because it's living the life that you want to live or living the life that you feel you deserve to live or living the life that you should live. And so I think part of the grieving Mm -hmm. process is letting go of the idea that life should be different than what it is 
that, you know, letting go of the idea that you're not going to be able to have the life that you want. I mean, I feel like I've gone through a, that a little bit. Um, I mean, I think that's probably one of the things that like you constantly have to like check yourself with, but you know, I like last summer, I mean, I was really, I guess it was last summer. I don't know, maybe two summers ago, but I really had this thing of like, I don't want to live in Los Alamos. I don't want to be an attorney. I don't want this life that we currently have. And I worked through it with my spiritual director, but I had to grieve the idea like, well, what if, like, what if, what if this is as good as it gets? Like, what if my life really is living and dying in this little town, you know, in New Mexico, you know, with debt, you know, coming out, you know, not being rid of, of my student loan debt until I'm like 65, you know, never going on the vacations that we want to go on, never living in the place that really like makes my heart sing. Like, like what if, what if nothing ever changes about my situation? Can I be okay with that? And I mean, I, I grieve that hard. Like I spent a lot of time working through that and clearly I still have, I still have work to do. Um, but that was, that was really hard to just sit with that question of if nothing changes, can I be okay with that? Can I, can I find peace in the midst of that? Like, what if, like, what if, if all hope is taken away of any, of, of anything ever changing, can I be okay? And I'm fortunate that my situation is as good as it, as, as good as it is. Um, so I can imagine that there's, you know, people in other circumstances that really have it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to kind of think in, in relativity, you know, like, well, people across, across the world are in much more hardship. So we yes. shouldn't, we shouldn't feel bad about our situation, which is like, I, I don't know, like everything else, there's two sides to that, right? Like in some yeah. ways it is yeah. good to, to have that perspective, but it's also not necessarily healthy to like, allow ourselves to put up with hardship in our lives because someone else has it worse or you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I, for a long time, like I was feeling guilty, you know, cause I'm like, my husband is the one who's going to work. My husband is the one who is putting in the time and effort to bring in a paycheck. I'm just here on the couch, like, you know, reading my Adi Ashanti books and, and Nisargadatta and listen to Spira and Toll, you know, crying about, like, you know, grieving the process that my life isn't better. I mean, I felt like, I felt like a total, just self-centered little jerk, you know, like entitled little princess or whatever. Um, but my spiritual director was interesting. She was just like, but this is, this is where you are now. And, and I would think like, well, what if something happened to my husband? What would I do? Would I, would I refuse to get a job as an attorney because I don't like it? You know, it, like, is that what I would do? And she kept saying like, just coming back to where you are right now and what your reality is right now, because if that happened, then you would deal with it then. Like you can't, it's like what we said before, like you can't project into the future how you would respond because you don't know. And so for the people who are in a different place of hardship, their resisting or their acceptance might look 
different, right? It, it, it might not look the same. Like resisting to them might actually look like taking action, not just sitting on their couch being like, well, there's nothing I can do. And so that was helpful for me to think about is that we can't say what anybody else should do, right? Or how they should act. But it's just more about like being true to your deeper self in the moment where you are. And that allowed me to feel a little bit better. Like, okay, there's no one right way to do or to be. Um, everybody just has to be like, has to discern for themselves in the moment what the response, what the necessary or needed response is. No, that's good. And it's interesting. A, a couple of thoughts like on, you mentioned Adi Ashanti and I'm reminded of one of the things he talked about in, in his book, um, the end of your world, which mm-hmm. I think, I think we both read that. Yeah. And he talks about the kind of difference between an absolute mindset versus the alternative. I can't remember what he, he posited as the alternative, but it's, and so as we think of that in what your spiritual director, how she handled that, I think that's really tricky because again, the absolute mindset is what well, the past doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. The future doesn't exist. The only thing that is, is actually in existence is this very moment. There is no functional use in the past or the future because they just serve to take us out of what actually does exist. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the absolute mindset where it's it, what Adi Shanti says. It's like, it is true, but it's, it's, it's also a huge pitfall. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. I think that's the delicacy of like really good spiritual directors, especially in this more um, consciousness, present moment, mindfulness type of work is how do you kind of position, help steer somebody to the path of that nature of, of the present moment awareness as all that really is kind of like what your spiritual director sounded like she was ushering you towards mm-hmm. while still validating the concerns, right? I mean, th- these concerns, it's not like we should have this spirituality that is so focused on the present moment that everything else just fully disappears. You, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like that, that yes. becomes spiritual bypassing is, is maybe the word yes. for that. So it's like, but how do we, um, again, reconcile the two of like that absolute mindset with also being in the world and trying to figure out how to, how to cultivate this experience that we're living, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were kind of dealing with like some mm-hmm. hope issues, tensions or whatever. What have you been experiencing? Yeah. So we've, it's been a really, really big rough patch <clears throat> with our kids for the past probably six weeks where it's just, um, you know, it's like we went on this, this short trip in middle of January. So I guess it's only been like four weeks. It definitely feels like six <laughs> or eight or I don't know. It feels like it's been forever, but we went on the short trip, came back and kids just really struggled to adjust for whatever reason, like extremely cranky a lot. And then there was illnesses shortly after and then it seemed like right when everyone was recovered from those illnesses, then the whole family got really sick. Um, 
And so it's just been a really rough patch and it's been really cold, you know, living in Illinois, it's February is always the hardest month. And the kids are just kind of at an age that's just generally difficult. You know, I think most would say like that, that two to three window with kids can be one of the hardest, right? Anyway, so the natural hope there is like, well, this too shall pass, right? Right. We will get through this. Um, And I was, Liz and I, my wife were having a conversation and and I was going with that. Like that was my mindset. And it's interesting because you mentioned earlier that hope is a drug. And I think in some respects, I I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's sometimes you need drugs, (laughs) You need drugs yeah. to cope with the season of life. And, you know, is it is it the most spiritually mature thing to do? I don't know. I guess that's kind of what I want to tease out of, of this dialogue because, you know, it, it is a resistance for sure. It's resisting this crappy situation that you're in. But is it is it bad? Um, and something that I thought of, two thoughts coming to mind now, but uh, something I thought of in regards to the um the kids situation and something else you mentioned earlier like will life become what i want it to be and liz made a comment about how having kids is kind of like uh a lot of people see it as like derailing your life um and i had this thought of like it's not it's not really a derailing it's just it's a change like and that's i think what we have to like continually look at maybe almost in every single moment this is a change. This is a, a a change in my life, and it's not it's not derailing because it is it's life. It, it is what it is. What it is, and there's no use in in looking at it as though, well, this is not what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that. That's where I'm drawn to be. Except for yeah, when you're actually in those moments, it's not that easy. And the other thing that literally just popped in my head as I as I was thinking about this idea is, you know, very current event. Right? We're we're talking about the before we recorded, we were talking about the Russia and Ukraine situation unfolding. And, you know, let's put ourselves in the shoes of those civilians living in Ukraine. Like, would you, would we tell someone like them that hope is a bad idea? That, you know, and maybe, maybe in those situations when life is the most dire, hope is all you've got. Hope Mm -hmm. to hope to get through that situation. And maybe it's exactly what you need to get through. So again, going back to the mm-hmm. drug analogy, I think sometimes you just need those drugs to to get through whatever the hardship is and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think that there are times when it is necessary. And you know what? I have so my husband and I were having a conversation uh last week and it was a really difficult conversation. I mean, a good conversation, but really difficult. And I, I found myself wanting to, like you've talked before, I think, um, about the word equanimity. Is that the mm-hmm. word? Like yep. this kind of this like peaceful steadiness and how, yep. you know, that's the, I, the idea is that that's in essence what we are that every that that consciousness doesn't want anything it doesn't care what's going on it just is this like steady at peace with whatever is um and 
I found myself having this thought that I don't want that. It was weird. It was almost like I missed the ability to get caught up in the drama, like the up and down roller coaster of life. Because I think that one of the one of the things about being human, right, is that you can have really intense moments of suffering, but then you can also experience this just like radical feeling of joy and success and victory or like this happiness, you know? And I feel, I, I think part of so much of the, just the inner work and like spiritual development that has happened is that I've come a lot more middle ground. And in this conversation with my husband, I had this feeling of like, I don't want this anymore. Like I want, like I will take the suffering if it means that I also get to go crazy with hope and joy and dreams and striving. And like, like I missed that. And it's, it's funny because I had the thought, um, the, you know, the Adi Ashanti quote that we've talked about you and I, but I don't think it's come up so much on the podcast. Um, this idea that enlightenment is the ego's biggest disappointment that, you know, as like our ego, our, just our humanness thrives on the hope of, of the butterfly moment, right? Like coming at me, like, here I am, I've arrived. I'm, I'm so beautiful and smart and talented and my life is going great and everything is amazing. And, and that's like the thing that we're, that we're constantly like hoping for. Um, but that's not, I mean, in my experience so far, that has not been what it is. It's just been like a process of, of grieving and letting go of every idea that I think could bring me like happiness, you know, other than right now. Yeah, just, but it was weird that I had this, I had this feeling of, of like deeply knowing what Adi Ashanti meant by that and missing that just ease of flowing into the hope. Yeah. And, and I think, and I, I think you're right. It's like, there are times when, when we need hope to get us through a difficult moment of suffering. Absolutely. And I think to take that, to take that hope away from somebody would be, could feel so cruel. And it's like, if they're, if they're holding on to that hope, then it probably just means that that is what they need in a moment, that they're not, that they're just not ready to go into a different place. And maybe at some point they will, or maybe they never will. And that's totally, oh, that, that's totally okay. And I, and I don't think that we'll ever, I mean, I'm sure that there will be times in my life when I, when I will probably, you know, look to hope to, to get me through a difficult a difficult moment. And it just happens that where I am right now, hope feels strangely like dangerous and toxic for me right now, because the lesson that I am needing to learn is to accept and be with where I am, whereas someone else has a different lesson that they're working through. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had this, you mentioned the butterfly. I had this picture come up in my head of, um, you know, as we explore this, spiritual stuff that we like to talk about are we both still effectively 
in the cocoon cycle. Not to say that, not to say that it's a perfect analogy. And so, you know, asterisk there, but from the, I guess the death and rebirth cycle, that's, that's common in, in virtually all spiritual traditions and religions. There's some element of that. So I wonder if, if it's possible that truly you and I could still be in that in some way, shape or form where the, the death that is happening is that ego attachment. And in order to, and again, just throwing this out there, it's interesting as I think about what you're sharing, um, in order to sustain that death, uh, we just have to stick with it, right? right? And stay balanced for the process to continue and not enter back into the the life of egoic tendencies and then i guess speaking of hope here but you know is it possible that you reach a point in your realizations self-realization enlightenment awakening whatever to then on the other side be fully non-attached to the egoic patterns and not attached to the highs, not attached to the lows, but they're happening naturally without right, yeah. resisting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm wondering if that could be the, 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 what the future is in store as we continue to abide in this space, steep in this space. Um, you know, yeah. And, and the future is that continual abiding and stillness in the consciousness that undergirds all of experience while still fully embraced in the experience versus being outside of it that, that we feel drawn to now, right? Like, I think you, you and I have both said it at some point, like we really feel kind of drawn to the monastic life, you know, Yeah, right. <laughs> which sounds like the easy way, yes. but I think there's an yeah. element of like, we are all called at some point in our lives to live the monastic life and just find that pure balance i like that what you said that you're staying much more balanced and stay there but don't stay there forever right i think the right. the the common pitfall for so many things so many paths and traditions as you you go somewhere and you stay there mm-hmm. um and i think we're, we're somewhere now and and won't stay here forever mm-hmm. yeah you know and it reminds me of uh what we've talked about i don't know a couple podcasts ago right we we use I think you use the word like shifting the locus yeah. of control. For me, I think it's easier to, not easier, but like in this moment, it feels like reestablishing a baseline, you know, that, that we go through this, that the letting go process is reestablishing the baseline of, of your peace and your comfort, like what you need to be or like, like what it means to be at, at peace, right? Like most of the time people will say, well, I'm at peace when I have no problems, right? Well, that's tricky because your mind can make up a thousand problems, like just sitting on the couch watching TV, right? You can look around your house and be like, well, I need to take care of this. I need to do that. The kids need this. Like, you know, there's, there's never a time in life whenever you don't have problems. And really what you mean is like, well, I, I feel at peace when 
I'm not like actively creating a problem for myself with my mind or something. I don't know. But I feel like this whole process has been a resetting of the baseline so that like being, so before I had this feeling of everything needs to change. Our financial situation has to change, where we live has to change, how the kids are behaving has to change, how I'm feeling about life has to change. I, you know, my world was filled with, I need to be more this, I should be more that, I need to be like this, why can't I be like this? You know, I I want to be this. And that was my baseline. My baseline was constantly, I am not enough, my life is not enough, things are not okay the way that they are. And the spiritual process for me over the last couple of years has been resetting that baseline to now where it's more of like, not perfectly, obviously, but where my baseline is much more, things are perfectly okay as they are. Like in this moment, all is well. In this moment, everything is okay. And I feel like I am learning to operate out of that baseline so that whenever something comes in, which is like my hope with the financial situation, you know, these thoughts started to come in of like, this is not okay. You have to fix this. You would need to figure out a way to deal with this right now. And whereas before that place was my baseline, now my baseline is like, whoa, like this doesn't feel very good. Like I'm able to discern just coming from a place of peace, you, you're able to notice when things are not coming from a place of peace, right? Like our podcast, I feel like is a, is a really good example. Our podcast totally fits in with a place of peace. I have no expectations for it, no agenda for it. There's, there's no stress. Our podcast, I feel like came out of the place of peace and also abides within that same space of peace. Whereas other things like my search for a job did not come from a place of peace. It came from a place of fear. It came and and that was that like, you know, on the flip side of that is the hope, right? And I think that's why it felt icky to me is because I've been on this baseline of peace and the baseline was erupt, like was interrupted or disrupted or something. And so I think that that is, that part of that is, or part of this whole process is reestablishing a baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a good friend of mine is really into the Enneagram. I think we were talking about that a little yeah. bit um, in terms of just the Enneagram and, and how it can be so distracting from like the stuff that we're talking about because people end up building up an identity around their type right. or whatever. <laughs> for sure. And, and that's just, it's not really what it's for. And the analogy that he was using really stuck with me is really what we, how we should approach the Enneagram is understand our type or types or whatever and see them as knots to be untied for our ability to live that baseline, right? Mm-hmm. To, 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 they're, they're blocks that are, they're, they are knots that are blocking us from returning to baseline. Yeah. 
And, and I love that that imagery yeah, to, to think good. of like, you know, whatever whatever it is, the, the type that we identify with, there's, there's knots there. And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is, it's, it sounds almost like a dissonance knot where your your essence that is aware of what's happening, it has been cultivated in such a way that you can see it more clearly now than you would have in the past because mm-hmm. you were more in it versus yes. outside of it. But you see this, this dissonance not because there's part of you that wants to improve your life situation by financially and then there's a part of you that is resisting wanting anything different yes and yeah. then and then yeah. so there's this knot that you see and then that maybe that's the yuckiness that you feel is I don't want I don't want this knot I just want to be perfectly content with how things are but then you see arising this uh two paths of what your contentment looks like and mm-hmm. And it's it's just cool to be able to see it though. That's that's where the growth comes, I think, right? Is mm-hmm. to see it and and you know, just kind of I, I don't know. How how do you think you untie these knots? That's the ultimate question. Oh my gosh. I don't I don't know. You know, I was thinking my, uh, um, my oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say my theory um is as kind of what Alan Watts would say about um muddy water is is how do you um he, I forget how he says it, but basically it's like, how do you uh, clear up muddy water? You just let it be. Yeah. And, and I think that that might be how these knots work in some respects, right? There's probably some work to do, but I think in some ways, just like continually noticing the pattern mm-hmm. and then just letting it be. But that act of noticing it, um, I think it sometimes can just be all that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I... I agree. And like recognizing, I mean, one of the things that's been so beneficial for me with all this stuff that we've read and talked about and everything is learning to recognize how transient things are that really, I I forget Mm -hmm. there's, there's a quote out there, you know, someone it's like, you know, if you, if you can just sit with something for like 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes, whatever the quote is, the feeling will pass. Right. And, and that has been, that's been what I think one of the most transformative things for me over these last couple of years is just recognizing, like you have this really intense desire for change or this really intense, you know, need to, to take action or this intense feeling of, of sadness or hope or whatever. But if you can, if you can just sit with it, and allow it to be there for, you know, for a short period of time, you'll see that it passes. It's like, like if you want a candy bar, right? You know, you think, oh my gosh, I really, I, I really just want a snack right now or whatever. If you just sit with that for five minutes or for a couple of minutes, you're going to get distracted. Something else is going to come up. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, I don't even, I don't even really want that anymore. But we get, we believe, because we believe that our thoughts are true because we believe that our feelings are true, right? We grasp onto a particular thought that feels appealing to us in the moment and we we chase after it and we run after it. And it's really easy to get caught up in that. Whereas like with my, you know, with my fear and my desire to change our financial situation, like really, if I would just sit with that for a few minutes and look around at our life and be like, yeah, we have debt and that kind of sucks, but like really our life is really good. And we're not starving. 
our kids are healthy. Like in this moment, everything is okay. (laughs) And if I can just like be patient with it, then that feeling will pass. Yeah. And it it just is a, I feel like exactly what you said, like just stillness, like Mm -hmm. noticing it, observing it, watching it pass and going on with life. And I think eventually you get to the point where you don't reach out and grab those thoughts quite as quickly anymore because you see them for what they are. They're just a fleeting cloud passing in the sky, right? That analogy. In this, yeah, it's making me think of mindfulness as a, as a, perhaps the ultimate practice. And I love it because mindfulness, I got, uh, I was having a coaching session. I think I was telling you about this. I was having a coaching session with one of my, uh, employees at work. And I forget, we were talking about something that was going on in his life and just some, some dissonance, right? I I noticed some dissonance in what he was saying. And then I, I, I asked him, so have you ever heard of mindfulness? And he said, no, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it, it was interesting because I felt, I felt very comfortable talking to him about mindfulness because mindfulness is, is so pervasive in secular culture. Right, yeah. And it's also extremely pervasive in spiritual culture. Mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, the funny thing that happened was then, I kid you not, I think it was the next day, our um, health insurance company sent everybody an email and it was about just some health tips and mindfulness was number one. And I told him, I'm like, you see that? Like, I guess I was onto something here. Um, anyway though, but, but that, that's the little anecdote, but it also reminds me of something that Sam Harris has said about mindfulness is he thinks my, I think he said something along the lines of he thinks mindfulness is the most important thing we can do. And but but to be very specific that he doesn't mean the secularized version of mindfulness because you know these practices i think there's two big facets to it one is is it can be very helpful in our struggles mm-hmm. right i think that you use the version of a candy bar um that applies to virtually any addiction they call it urge surfing where you just you, you, you recognize the urge and you just, you, you make this commitment up front. I am going to surf on this urge and just let it be. And just as you said, in, in most cases, it will, it will dissolve. Yeah. Um, and that is such a beneficial element of mindfulness because that's really what it is. It's being mm-hmm. mindful of what your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's the pervasive part, but then the spiritual part, which is what I love about it is exactly what you're doing whenever you do that if you realize it you are stepping into that place of your essence awareness mm-hmm. you are being aware of what is happening so so you think you're doing this great secular uh, mental health thing <laughs> and you are right. but at the same time you're doing this extremely esoteric spiritual practice yeah um, i remember like first learning about meditation years ago, while I was still very much a, a party line evangelical. And I was like, I don't, I don't really understand what's so bad about this. I mean, it seems fine. But the more I've done it, and the more I've practiced it, the more I realize, like, I can, I think I can see why it's frowned upon so deeply and rigid yeah. traditions, because it, it causes you to 
be in a place where you're more comfortable with not needing to know all the answers Mm -hmm. and not needing certainty and, um, and, you know, kind of seeing through some of that stuff that tends to arise in those more rigid traditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the term, um, or that term urge surfing, I feel like is, is helpful. Um, and going back to the, to the hope topic, Mm. I was, I was thinking about that. This is kind of why hope is dangerous. Dangerous is not exactly the right word, but hope is addicting and that it, it has a very similar, um, a very similar pattern in the sense that, you know, you get a glimpse of some, of some desire that you have or expectation that you have like coming true, right? You get, you get a glimpse of like, like your kids behaving well one day, right? Like you go out to a restaurant and all of a sudden they're sitting there nicely at the table and engaging a conversation and you feel this like, you know, we've crossed a bridge. We're now on the other side of this behavior, right? It, it sets you up in this in this pattern of of wanting something, hoping for something, and then maybe you get it. But even then, even after you get the thing that you hope for, I mean, it happens to all of us. You get the thing that you hope for. Babies are a good example. You desperately want kids. You have this baby, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is everything we hoped for. This is the family that we always wanted. And then your kid is just a little shit, and you're like, well, this isn't the kid that I wanted. And then all of a sudden it sets up a new hope of like, I want, you know, I like, there's a disappointment because you, you had this picture of this perfect family that you were going to have. And there's a disappointment that it's not meeting your expectation. And then, you know, your kid goes on and, and things get a little bit better. And you're like, oh my gosh, I hope for this re- relationship with my kid. I hope that we're going to be close. And I hope that, you know, we're going to have these kind of conversations and we're going to be able to do these activities together. And then you know, one day, like in our situation, my husband had this hope of hiking 14ers and like going on adventures with our kids. And so, you know, you hike the 14er and your kid complains half the way. And you're like, well, this isn't that what I envisioned it being like. And then it's just like, basically it's, it's that it goes back to the idea that like with desire, you're never satisfied. You're never, ever satisfied. And you desire one thing and you get it. And there's like that brief moment of happiness where you've got the thing that you desired, but then you look around and you're like, oh shoot, well that, that person has that car. Like they just got a new car. Now, all of a sudden the car that you got, you know, the used car that you saved up all your money and you finally got or whatever, doesn't look so shiny and nice anymore. Or it's like this constant sense of, of one upping yourself, even that that is, that that's the that's the the where the drug of hope or the drug of desire comes in is that you're never ever satisfied but there's there's an addictive quality where desiring stuff is really fun i don't know and i and i think like going back to my point about missing missing it i feel like i was missing that that drama that drama of of desperately wanting something and then oh it's so close and i didn't get it and oh but now i can have make room for something else i don't know but yeah I, I feel like it's it's tied in with that with that urge surfing of like if you you know if you can stay with the urge and not cling to it, then gradually there's freedom from that. The same thing with desire. If you can stay with the desire but not grab onto it, 
Mm-hmm. then it gets easier to just like abide in a peaceful place and let it go. Whereas the same thing with an earth with, with like an addiction, you know, if you, if you have a drink, if you have a cigarette, if you do that, whatever it is, if you give into it, then it doesn't satisfy you. Just one doesn't satisfy, right? It's like the, you know, who can eat just one chip? No, like before you know it, the entire bag is gone because one is not satisfying. Like it, it almost just like feeds into the continual sense of needing something more. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because when you think about addictions, most addiction experts, if not all addiction experts would, would agree that there's something else keeping it up, right? There's something deeper within the psyche that is, that the addiction is covering up. Mm-hmm. But that said, I think the drug analogy here is so good. And what I'm thinking of now is the pharmaceutical industry. And it's interesting because the pharmaceutical industry, a lot of people would would make arguments that they're there's a lot of bad there. We'll put it that way. A lot of greed, a lot of um, negligence, you know, tons of tons of lawsuits, you know, the whole COVID thing, a lot of mistrust in vaccines because people don't really trust the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so there's a lot of that that bad connotation with them in this in this drug space. And yet they're so important. Like a lot of the drugs that the pharmaceutical industry creates are very needed. Yeah. They're life-changing for people. Yeah. So there's this, this really clear light and dark element of those drugs. And again, that's the legal side of drugs now, the (laughs) illegal side of drugs is, but again, psychedelics, I mean, Mm -hmm. psychedelics are life-changing for, for people in some cases and in other cases they're not, they, they can create um, hardship. Mm -hmm. So what I'm thinking of and how we tie the drug analogy into hope here is that hope drugs in and of themselves are not bad. Hope in and of itself is not bad. I think what, where it becomes bad is clinging to that result Right. right. You, you yeah. know, so we talk about like surfing the, the urge of hope. And I, I don't I don't know that I see it as you need to surf the hope. It's more like surfing the disappointment if the hope doesn't manifest or it doesn't manifest in the timeline. Mm-hmm. And something actually that I wrote down before we even started talking, and it's kind of arising now is this concept of what Eckhart Tolle calls karma yoga. I don't know if other traditions would refer to it differently, but karma yoga is the sense of going about the actions of your life without a attachment or concern to what comes of the actions. And you mentioned our podcast. Yeah. I was actually just telling a friend that I I am very karma yogic about our podcast where I'm like, I'm just going with it. You know, I'm flowing with it. I, I love what we're doing, but I have no concern about whatever comes out of doing it, right? Uh, which is different than how I felt in the past. Like I've, I've done some blogging and writing in the past and I've had a lot more anxiety about like, well, will I get 
enough engagement? Will I get people reading what I'm putting out (laughs) there? And, but, but I've just kind of let go of a lot of that. And so it's interesting. Like, so I think we can still have those hopes, but, but the, 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 the dark side of it becomes if we are attached to whatever the outcome of the hope would be. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we like allow ourselves the hope while still at the same time coming from a place that is perfectly okay. If whatever it is that we're hoping for doesn't come to fruition, realizing that we are going to be perfectly happy and at peace with, even if whatever we're hoping for doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a. I feel like it's a slippery slope, and you know, in a sense that it's really hard to prevent yourself, your ego nature, right, from slipping into that. Right. That sure. life that I'm hoping for would be better than this, you know, and that it, it's mm-hmm. really hard to just write that of like, well, yeah. I mean, I would uh, like if someone. I don't know if something happened to one of my children and they were suffering. It's like, well, of course you want them to get better. Like, of of course you do. Right. But Mm -hmm. how could you still remain present enough? And I mean, this probably just goes back to like the, the now practice, right? Like how could you stay so focused on the moment that you're like, in this moment, it's fine. Like in this moment, it's, we're, we're, we're surviving. Like we're, you know, we're, we're fine with this. And I mean, I think, I think this kind of stuff wraps in with so many of the other things that we've, that we've talked about, like, even, you know, the idea about that you're not a person, right? Like when you get caught up in the, like, everything needs to be different. It's like, well, that's because you're still, you're still interacting with life as though you are a person, (laughs) And you're still so caught up or like you're letting yourself get caught up in, in the role that you're playing. And instead of taking a step back and re- and remembering like, okay, this is, you know, this is hard, but this isn't ultimately what life is. And that it too is tricky because you have to be in the right place for all of that. Otherwise it comes across like awfully as spiritual bypassing as you know ignoring the difficult like the the difficult reality that your character is is involved in and so it all just kind of feels like it builds on itself in different in different ways you know and somehow navigating through them and pulling out different pieces of them is the way that you would continue to have peace or else like at least be able to come back to that baseline of peace every once in a while even if it's only occasionally i mean i think adyashanti you know, he talks about like abiding peace versus sort of like having that occasional like glimpse of it. And eventually even those occasional glimpses can give you enough rest for a moment. And hopefully, you know, the idea is that like the more that you're able to come back to that place of peace, the more habitual it will, it will be until that's the place that you're acting from. Yeah. It's it's interesting. The, you mentioned the it, it it builds on itself and there's this notion of a journey right i was just looking back a few days ago or so on the integral theory the the model of spiritual development 
and I hadn't looked at it in a long time, not intentionally. I just, it, it wasn't interesting to me. I've been interested in other things lately. And I looked back on it and I was like, huh, it, it was interesting to go back and look at it and be like, it's, it's interesting to kind of observe how I've seen my own life kind of shift and twist and turn and seemingly grow and develop and looking at it through the lens of this model. Um, one of which that I used to spend a lot more time exploring and, and reading into because I think I've been much more at that place, that baseline that is almost outside of that, that framework, yeah. right? So there's this building there's this journey that our, our human avatar is on and that's all valid and it's good and it's true, but is it the absolute nature of who we are? I would argue, no, that that's where we step back. Like you're saying into this present moment right now. And in that nowness, there is no, there is nothing building. There is nothing that was built. It's just now. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and when we enter back into that space of assessing our, this journey that we apparently are on, then that you enter back into that something being built, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, the, the more that we can step out and, and just be still and in the present moment, free from the, whatever the structural element of our existence is, that's the place of pure peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. What you're saying reminds me about um, the podcast whenever we, we talked about the spiritual journey and I was like, it's a puddle. <laughs> and I remember afterwards being like, I had talked so much about the river, right. As being like <laughs> the sort of the spiritual journey. Why did I say puddle? I don't even know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it makes me think about how, you know, we had spent so much time talking about that river analogy, how everybody is, everybody is in the river and you know, you're all like, everybody is getting carried along by this flow of, of life. And some people hop onto rafts like Christianity and it's like, Oh, thank God I'm in a boat. I know, you know, I'm safe from life if I'm in this boat. And then with deconstruction, it felt like jumping off of the boat into the river, but trying to grab at things around, you know, like, like a stick here, a bush there, like something saved me from this flow. Cause I'm still not comfortable being in the river yet and then at a point you're like okay like I'm at peace in the river I can be the, you know and then but then even beyond that it's like well actually you are the river like you're not in the river you are the river how do you be the how do you be the river and and I feel like that's kind of the difference you know there's that like you're saying when you're when you're in the river when you're on the journey you can have that sense of building up but when you're the river, there is no past or future. There's just like the flow of the now, like being all of it, like encompassing all of it. And that's a, that's kind of a different, a different place to be. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's about, it's about integrating and aligning both you know, Richard Rohr talks about both and a lot yeah. and it, it, it kind of bothered me for a long time because I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, it just, it just didn't really connect. 
and still in some ways I, I don't fully flow with, with how he says that. But when I think of stuff like the river analogy and what we're talking about, I can see more that it's important to somehow be able to align both pieces. And then maybe the right. and is whatever we don't currently see, because the reality is that we are having this human experience. We are yeah. in the river swimming around doing yeah. whatever the heck we're doing, jumping from raft to raft or not. Um, while also we are the river that is immutable and timeless, but how do we be both? Right. right. That that's yeah. like the, the, the trillion bazillion cannot be computed dollar question Mm -hmm. because it's like if we can figure that out um and i and i'm not saying it's impossible i think a lot of people have kind of gotten to that place and that's what's fun about a dialogue continual dialogue like this is like i feel like we're kind of working it out we're working out those how to be with that seemingly paradox and operate from it Mm-hmm. And not because I feel like sometimes we can get into that place where we're oscillating between the two, right? Like I'm the river. No, no, no. I'm, I'm now I'm the one that's in the river. Right. <laughs> and how do we, how do we just like let it all be and just be still with it? Yeah. That's, that's the goal in, in my book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, I'm on the topic of hope, but um, not so much the the river thing. So I hope you don't mind me jumping, but I wanted to bring this up because I was curious about what you, what you thought about it. So going back to our, going back to our Bible references, <laughs> the other day I was thinking about, hopeless. The Bible is hopeless. <laughs> the Bible no. is hopeless. Just, just kidding. Um, no, totally kidding. Um, so I don't know what made me think about it, but I was thinking about hope and how, um, and, and how I didn't like the way that it made me feel how for the first time in my life, hope felt like an invader, it almost felt evil. This desire, this like fear, this, you know, this, this desire that was actually like preying upon my fears of our financial situation. I didn't like how it felt. And, um, the story that came into my mind was the temptations of Christ, the temptations of Jesus, how, you know, Jesus is out there in the desert and Satan, right, um, comes to him and is like, you know, I'll give you bread. I'll, you know, like, you know, um, see, now I feel like my Christianity is leaving me. But the different, so the what, there was a, I'll turn, like, turn these stones into bread, right? And Jesus says, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then there's the one that's like, what is it like cast yourself off of this off of this mountain and the angels you know will come get you or whatever and and Jesus says like I'm not going to test God and then the other one is you know if you what is it like if you if you bow to me like I'll give you this whole world and but just in that like in my own little financial like frustrated kind of moment I was thinking about how Satan in that situation represents the ego, like the ego coming in and like, Jesus, if you do this, this, you like, you'll be satisfied by this. If you, you know, like, look at this, you could have this whole world. And meanwhile, Jesus from his, 
from his consciousness perspective is like, that's such a stupid comment because I am the world. Like I, like I am this, not just that this is mine because, you know, I'm God's son, but like literally I am like, I am the glue that holds this whole world together. So it's ridiculous that you're trying to offer me something in the world because I am that. And, and just the same thing of like, you know, oh, like you're hungry. So turn these stones into bread and be satisfied by that. And, but at this, and your ego is like, these things, all this stuff is going to, these material things are going to satisfy you. These achievements, these things that you desire, that you think you need to sustain you are going to satisfy you. And Jesus is like, I am complete in and of myself. Like I, I don't actually need or want anything because I know it's all transient. It's, it's all just going to pass. I don't know. I, I'm curious, like if you, if you see where I'm going with this or like, I don't know, it's just interesting to think of Satan in that moment as actually being like an ego attack of look at all the things that you could hope for that you could, you know, all these things that are going to fulfill your needs and Jesus just being like, no. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard Satan from the biblical Satan described like that. You know, I think that that is as evangelical Christians, maybe the, the biggest thing to unlearn is that how sin and Satan are portrayed in the evangelical uh, hermeneutic of the Bible. The interpretation of the Bible is very like Satan is this this individual figure that is you know that's other right that's other that yeah. that is that is exerting influence you know that that satan on your your shoulder kind of idea so it's interesting to hear these perspectives and it reminds me of the the garden of eden story and how it was the the satan figure that positioned adam and eve to eat from that tree of Mm. knowledge of good and evil and that knowledge of good and evil is is a great catalyst to believing that we are a separate entity. Right. Yeah. And I say that, I guess I say that because, so we talk about Rupert Spira a lot. Uh, I've been watching a handful of videos lately by Francis Lucille, whom was Rupert's teacher. You know, I don't think he had much of a social media or, or uh, online presence, but it, it seems to be ramping up because he's still he's still active. I mean, he's older. Yeah. I think he's maybe in his seventies now. But uh, he, I, I really like his teaching because he seems to be even more direct than Rupert. Yeah, uh, and, and uses different words, so it's kind of nice. But he, the way he'll define ego, is simply believing that you are a separate entity. Mm the belief that you are a separate entity. And so then when you think of the iterations of quote unquote Satan in the Bible, in your account of the temptations of Christ, hundred percent that that voice is, is that belief that you are a separate entity because that you would need 
food or that you would be able to rule over this or you, 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 this like right, po- yes. positioning you as this, this yeah. separate entity is that egoic way of being. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier about, I love, I love to go back to the Bible and just have a completely open grid to be able yeah. to uh, understand perhaps some of the deeper meanings underneath it. I love the way that you put that because, you know, I totally thought about how, um, you know, there's the story about how Satan was once like an angel, right? And then he gets kicked out of, like kicked out of heaven, which is, it's such an interesting thing that like, because that's kind of how it is at some point in our lives. Like when we're babies, we don't come out knowing that we're a separate entity, right? We just come into this world and like, you know, and they even talk about attachment, right? How a baby believes that it is the same as its mother in the beginning and that it's actually through sort of like a process of, you know, process of nurture and nature that you begin to build this understanding of yourself as a separate thing. And that's part of like the twos and threes that you're going through is like establishing their separateness, right? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, our daughter, our daughter is getting really good at that. Sorry to interject, but she, her, her name is, her name is Ellie, uh, or Eliana, but we call her Ellie and she calls herself Eddie. It's, it's adorable. I couldn't resist telling the story, but she's gotten really big into, um, sh- sharing, but also being very clear about hers. So, uh, so yes. she'll be, so she'll say, uh, she'll say, uh, mommy's turn, mommy's turn with with food or whatever it is if we're sharing something and then she'll be like eddie's turn eddie's turn and she's always like very clear like it's her turn so it is really interesting to see her develop that that sense of of who she is as a separate entity sorry to cut you off i I couldn't resist but it's it's true it's like mine oh my gosh Mm. like this is mine mine like grabbing toys away or Mm -hmm. whatever yeah that's it's a it's a real thing and i think um eckhart tolle i think in the new earth you know he talks about um the power to label things, right? To label mm, things. Because yeah. once you get the power to label things, there's uh, there's like, this is part of me or this is not part of me, right? Like just that that recognition. But yeah, the, mm-hmm. the Satan as ego thing made me think about like, yeah, you know, part of the process that we are going through is disengaging ourselves from our ego, right? From that egoic way of thinking, Um and recognizing it as more of an illusion than anything else. Um, but at the same time, it keeps popping up. It keeps coming. Like Muji talks about it being the employee that you that you are trying to fire, but keeps like showing up for work. You're like, no, I'm not interested in what you have to say. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need you anymore. But the ego is like, oh, but you do. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing like in Jesus's life, you know, Jesus has separated himself, you know, it's like, has has separated himself from the ego but yet in the temptations it's almost like you see it popping up again like oh but wait here i am and you know gee that was like um i mean people see the temptations right as like jesus fully entering into his christhood but you could also see it see the temptations as jesus completely throwing off his ego nature and seeing it for the illusion that it is and saying i'm no longer going to be limited by it or controlled like that locus of control i'm no longer going to be controlled by this ego part of me 
Yeah. And, and I think what's difficult about that is how would the authors of the Bible adequately portray that? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like we can, we can understand, like, for example, perhaps the most potent, if anyone listening is curious about these kind of like more mystical, esoteric readings of, of the words of Jesus, read or go to the book of John and just understand it that way. Because for example, so John, the statements that, that Jesus made, the I am statements. Mm. Yeah. The, the the really potent thing in that for me is that aligns with all, all the other esoteric traditions. Like yeah. that is not, it's not a coincidence that, that that's the way that Jesus was documented to having spoke. Yeah. But it's interesting that John, the gospel of John, at least in the, uh, the canonical gospels, because we don't talk about the gospel yeah. of Thomas or Mary or Judas. But in the canonical gospels, the gospels, John is the only one that's like very mystical in how Jesus is speaking as not necessarily, well, John seemed to capture the essence of Jesus coming from that place of um, no selfness that, you know, the Christian tradition will call the Christ, uh, the Christ consciousness. And then the other gospels didn't really capture that the same way. So it's just interesting, like, it makes sense. How, how would you capture this person that is speaking and teaching about how they don't actually exist or um, their individuality right, yeah. is an illusion? That That's hard to capture in words. And it's hard to, like, get people to get behind, right? I mean, the whole, yeah. basically the whole of mainstream Christianity is behind this this person of Jesus and not realizing that Jesus was just Thanks. an illusory <laughs> yeah jesus was an illusory <laughs> ego identity just like all of us but but the real message is much deeper than that yeah yeah jesus is like i am the dough i am the light of the world yeah. i am the dough i am the bread of life it's, oh he what did say that? the dough you're right he's the cookie <laughs> dough <laughs> He's like, I'm the dough, and everyone's like, no, 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 you're decorated with stars. Like, all I can see is the frost kings and everything. You know, that's so fascinating, and I know we've got to wrap up here. Um, It's interesting because the way that, yeah, the way that you said that, it's like John is writing from the perspective of someone who gets it on, like, an experiential level, whereas the other Gospels are coming at it from a knowledge level. Like, this is what I know about Jesus, but I haven't experienced the thing that he experienced. Whereas John seems to be coming from like, like, I get what he's, I get what he's saying and words cannot encapsulate it, but I'm writing from a place of really deeply, like I have experienced the same thing that Jesus has experienced. And the other gospels are like, I see what Jesus is doing. And I, and I, and I under, like, I, it's kind of like what, what Spira and Toll and all those guys talk about is like, if you're just regurgitating the words, but you haven't deeply experienced it, then all you're doing is just, is just repeating it. Whereas if you have experienced it, yeah, the words are going to fail because you understand how difficult it is to convey, to convey the reality that you're, or the truth of what you've, of what you've known. That's really cool. I hadn't, I mean, I've, I've heard about John like that, but I hadn't actually thought about it in this way before. So 
shockingly, it makes me kind of want to go back and read. <laughs> I haven't read my Bible like for real in gosh, like three years now. This actually makes me want to kind of interested to go back and look at John again from this perspective and Ooh. see how much I can like see if I can see it more. Ooh, you know, I have an idea. We could maybe if we wanted to next week, we could uh, we could both. Oh, read either some or all of it and uh and and discourse about it because yeah no i i actually so earlier in my kind of mystical shift of life um is where i first heard that i think it was something that i, I don't remember if it was richard Rohr talked about it or somebody yeah. would talk about john being kind of the mystical gospel so i'm like oh, right perfect. yeah because yeah. i it actually took me a while to to let go of my christianity to the extent that I have now where right. I just hold it, hold that part of my experience very loosely. Um, so I was still, I was very intrigued and I remember reading through the gospel of John, at least the, the first part of it. I don't think I made it all the way through. And I would just identify each of the spots where I'm like, ah, that's, that is very mystical in, in, oh. uh, in language. And it just kind of, it definitely opened up a whole new kind of canvas to, to paint the interpretation of yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a similar moment. I had heard about John being mystical, but um, when my, for myself, when I was doing all of my unknowing and thinking about all the ways that I had labeled myself and letting go of all of those labels, I started thinking about those times when Jesus says, cause I had done a study about, you know, the I am statements of Jesus. And I was thinking about him again, um, you know, from this new place of deconstruction and unknowing. And I was like, Jesus is not saying anything like his I am statements are actually him not defining himself at all or like defining himself so esoterically that you like I am the light of the world like that says nothing like that says something but in the same way it's like you can't actually define the light of the world like you can't actually you know and the bread of life again it's like he's saying something like he's saying nothing by saying by giving like he's he's actually like not labeling himself at all because he's giving himself these just super ambiguous labels to the point where you're like Jesus what the fuck are you even talking about sorry um and that was kind of an aha moment for me of like oh Jesus is actually saying i am undefinable hmm. by giving these big grandiose statements he wasn't trying to define himself as something big and grand he was actually being like I am so beyond any understanding at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it now. I'm seeing it. Yeah. It's like he's coming. Yeah. He's, he's coming from what the essence underneath yes. the, the, the beingness yes. is, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting how the gospel of John is outmatched in a way by three other gospels that are not as mystical in nature. Mm -hmm. And frankly, a lot of the, the rest of the new Testament is, is less mystical. It's more, like you said, informative, um, prescriptive of, of yeah. how to be a Christian. Um, and it's interesting because if the gospel of John were standalone, mm. it would not, have become what the Bible is. Right. So yes. it's interesting. It's like, and, but I love how it's there yeah. because it's, it's, it's the, 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 
very like fundamentalist leaning evangelicals see this, the Bible that we have, I don't know how they know what, what interpretation or what section of books uh, counts, Mm -hmm. but it is all like um, inspired and infallible. And it's, it's good that the gospel of John made the cut. You know what I mean? Because like it's, it's support, it's kind of supported in in its following by these more prescriptive black and white types of books, um, but it's still there. Yeah. And so it's just kind of nice to to have something like that that can still provide some potency with the Bible, um, even when it's surrounded by stuff that doesn't necessarily provide the same. Mm-hmm. Gosh, so good. I know we got a little bit off on um, off of our off of our hope topic a wee bit there, but I this was this was helpful for me. This is really good. And I kind of like the idea of reading back through John again. I don't, I don't know. There's a little bit of resistance in me, but I kind of like it. I think it, it might be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. If we'll, I guess we'll see. Um, I don't really know how to wrap it up. It's, it's weird. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm in a different place with my needing to let go of hope and that being a negative place. And it feels like you're kind of in a place where hope is getting you through some, some challenges. And I guess maybe that's the place Mm -hmm. to wrap up is that, you know, hope, hope can be what you, what you need it to be. And not that we even have to wrap anything up, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for those listening, just hope is just, I, I guess the takeaway that we've talked about here is it's just it's something to be looked at, yeah. right? Let let it be, let let it operate, and if it's helpful, great. If it's as Karen's talking about, as you're talking about, if it's if it's you have an aversion to it or whatever, it makes you feel yucky, as as you said, then then just let that be and and learn from it. But yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think if if hope, like you said, if if it let it, let it be whatever it is, I think mm-hmm. that's the key is not trying to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I yeah. guess I, I do want to reiterate that you know for some people who are deep enough into this into this journey into this experiment into this experiment experience experiment whatever let hope actually be a signpost for a deeper understanding or a deeper awareness like look at look at what what hope you're clinging to and let that show you what what you're resisting. And if you can, if you can go there, like allow yourself to be drawn into the very thing that you're resisting, let go of hope as your lifeline and go into the very thing that you're resisting and allow that death of your dream to happen, knowing that there is, that that all of that is just an illusion anyway, that what you're going through is an illusion and there is freedom and peace on the other side, but only if that is, don't force that. If it allow that to, to be, or see that if you, if you're, if that is in your awareness and reach out to us, if you, if you need, if you need support or encouragement or something, reach out to us. We've, we've been on both sides. Oh, and with that, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll sign off. Take care, everyone. <laughs>